Let me invite you to grab a seat and find your way to Acts, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. And as you're turning into uh, to Acts chapter 9, if you didn't come with a Bible this morning, there should be some black Bibles in the chairs uh, close by. Grab one of those, enjoy it as a gift, uh, take it home with you, Acts chapter 9. As you're turning to Acts chapter 9, I want to get a gauge on uh, how many people in the room this morning know what this image is. All right, if you know what this image is, will you let us know by a showing of your hands? Come on now. All right, okay, all right. If you have no clue what this image is, would you lift your hands? All right, all right. So in 1984, there was a movie that came out called Gremlins. And uh, this little figure is known as a mogwai, known as a mogwai. And, and the character in this movie named Billy received a mogwai with these mysterious instructions. And the instructions went like this, um, don't get it exposed to bright light. Bright light, bright light, bright light. Remember that? Don't let it get wet and don't let it eat after midnight. Oh, child of the 80s, I hear you. Children of the 80s, I hear you. And what happens when they ate after midnight is they turned into these gremlins. These mogwais turned into these gremlins, and these gremlins wreaked havoc all over the town. They were ugly and nasty and mean and all this stuff. But what happened when they got wet is they multiplied. They just like immediately, they, they, they multiplied. Get a little water on a mogwai, boom, 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 boom. Other mogwais multiplying out. This morning we're talking about the church multiplying. We're reading about this in the book of Acts um, we're actually going to pick it up in Acts 8, and we're going to see the thrilling story. The book of Acts is absolutely one of the most thrilling books of the Bible. If you've never read the book of Acts, start it today and have it done by next Friday. It will absolutely thrill your soul. This is what's true about the book of Acts. If you find yourself this morning a little dry, a little numb, a little cold, a little apathetic, the book of Acts will restore your fire for the Lord. Reading the book of Acts will ignite something fresh and powerful in you as you read about the birth of and the spread of the early church. If you're new to Christianity, the book of Acts is a great book to read so that you can read about how and where the church came from and how it began to spread. That's what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came and when the Holy Spirit began to fill the lives of men and women, boys and girls. Um, it, it, it was Jesus that promised, wait and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit began to come. That's not all that you find in the book of Acts. You, you see is preaching, bold preaching in the book of Acts. The apostles, as they're filled with the Spirit, they go on preaching boldly. And as you read through the back, book of Acts, you see they were preaching the gospel. In the book of Acts, you see the power of God. You see that God begins to heal people of their sicknesses. You, be, you see that God begins to convert people as the apostles preach. That's what you see in the book of Acts. You see Paul's conversion. He, he was also known as Saul. We, we under, we, most of us know him as Paul. He wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. And we see, and we're going to read about that in just a minute, how Saul was converted. And we see persecution. We see where the church was being persecuted. 
Many Christians were being killed. Many Christians were being jailed, and we see all that in the book of Acts, and that's just in the opening chapters. If you've never read the book of Acts, do it this week and watch what God does as you read the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to start, and, uh, and we're just going to read a long section of Scripture together to get to one verse so that we understand it in the context. Uh, Luke wrote this historical narrative of the birth and the spread of the, of the early church, Look at it with me in chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right? So you understand who Saul is. Persecutor of Christians. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that, that was what was, Christianity was called in those days, any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Hold your finger there and let me just give you a little commentary about what's, what's going on here that I think will encourage you. Pastor Tim already led us in a prayer reflecting on the thoughts of maybe you don't feel worthy of God's mercy. Oftentimes we don't feel worthy of God's love. Sometimes we don't feel like we measure up. I want you to understand what Christianity is all about in Saul's conversion. Here was a man that hated Christians. I mean, he could have been categorized as the worst of the worst. Anybody feel that way this morning? I feel that way often. The worst of the worst. And God said, he 
is my chosen instrument. That's grace and that's love and that's what God says about all of us. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter how long you've wandered, how long you've strayed, what you've done, or what others think about you, the Lord looks upon us with his love, and he says, I've got a plan for you. The Lord can meet you where you are, in the midst of your darkness, brokenness, sin, and rebellion, and he can transform your life in a moment by his love and his grace. That's what happened to Saul. If you'll open up your heart to him today, watch what the Lord does in your life. It's amazing what he did in Paul's life, and it's amazing what he does in our life when we open our heart to him. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. Just a word about baptism. When you read through the New Testament, you don't see examples of Christians who weren't baptized. In other words, when someone became a Christian, when they became converted to what was called the way, when they became a follower of Jesus, they were baptized. In other words, this thing that we do in North America where we put it off for this reason or that, that didn't exist in the early church. When people were converted, they were baptized. Maybe today you need to sign up to be baptized. On your phone right now, you can text MISSION to 97,000. Men, you will come up and say, I need to be baptized. I don't want to be ashamed of the great work that God has done in my life. You can take out that yellow card, and you can just check, I want to be baptized. That's what happened to Saul. As soon as he was converted to Christianity, he was baptized. Look on with me in the rest of verse 19. In taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. We'll just pause there and just say, how's Christianity going for you? Anybody plotting to kill you for following Jesus? You, you know those little memes that pop up on social media all the time of here's how it started, here's how it's going? You know what I'm talking about? Well, here's how it started. Preaching the gospel, people threatening to kill them. How's it going? <laughs> Turn it on YouTube putting our feet up, live streaming the service. Right? May the Lord awaken us from our spiritual slumber. Look at, look at verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him. Go figure, right? You know, it's like moments before, he's persecuting and killing Christians, approving of their execution. Now he's been converted, and they can't hardly believe it. For, Luke gives a commentary. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. Look at verse 27. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and spoke to him, who spoke to him, and, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to, to Tarsus. And now our focus verse of the morning, verse 31, look at it with me. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray, speak to us this morning through your sacred scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This verse 31 is a summary of what was going on in the church. It's a beautiful picture of a healthy church, and it's a beautiful picture of a healthy community group. Let's unpack it real quickly together. Um, first, we see that this, this church, the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, let me just pause there, let me say a word about church. Last week, we talked about our identity, our identity not first as a as an individual, but our identity as a member of the family. And interestingly, Luke is not saying the individual Christians had peace. All the individual Christians throughout Judea and Samaria and Galilee had peace. Rather, he says the church. In other words, those called out groups of people that had covenanted together, those who were existing as a family, Luke's burden is to emphasize what was going on in the church, not in just individual Christians' lives. So you see what's a priority here to Luke. He says, and and so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. This is pretty remarkable, isn't it? They had peace, and the climate was, if you follow Jesus, you could lose your life. (laughs) And they had peace. This is amazing, isn't it? Persecution, yet peace. There's all kinds of things that rock our peace, aren't there? All kinds of things that cause us anxiety. You know, I mean, many of you, you've got, you're, like, you're like, yes, I'm bombarded daily with anxieties and fears of all kinds. And we, like we could compare, like I could make us all feel bad about being anxious about the things that we're anxious about, about like, you know, like, look at what you're anxious about. Look at what, look at what the Christians could have been anxious about, you know? Like people seeking to kill their lives. And then, you know, and just say, well, look at what you're anxious about. How silly is that? But the reality is, is what we, what we feel tempted to be anxious about is it's important to us. And it's important to God. God, God cares about the things that cause you to feel anxious. But he wants to give you peace. Well, what's the pathway to peace? Well, certainly the Bible says that God is the God of peace. And at Christmas, we're reminded that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And in Galatians, we're reminded that peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So peace is available to all those that trust in Christ. But in what I've experienced, peace comes about often when we get connected with other people. And when other people know of your burdens, and when other people know how to pray for you, And when you get to actually hear other people pray for you, peace prevails. Peace. In other words, it's a lot easier to take hold of the peace that Christ purchased for us and gives us by his spirit. It's a lot easier to take hold of that when you're living life in community, people partnered with you, praying for you, encouraging you. 
in a community group and you voice that crazy talk that's going through your head, someone else can open up the scripture and say, hey, listen to what the word of God says about that. Cut that crazy talk out. Here's the truth of God. And peace comes. We see that the church not only had peace, but they were being built up. And this is exactly what, this is exactly what community groups are all about. It's a, a community group is a group of, of about 12 people that gather in a home for about an hour and a half, two hours during the week. They gather together to hang out in fellowship, to open up the sacred scriptures and to discuss the sermon from Sunday, and then to pray together. In other words, it's not, it's not God's desire that you just become a Christian, but it's God's desire that you grow in your faith and that you're built up in your faith. You're going to be built up best when you're a part of a community where other people are speaking in and praying for you. Here's a picture of what God wants for his people. He wants us to have peace, and he wants us to be built up, and that happens when we put ourselves in an environment where other people can speak into that environment. I love this next phrase, in walking in the fear of the Lord. One of the, one of the reasons that we don't fear the Lord the way we ought is because we fear people way too much. And the greatest way to squelch your fear of people is by fearing the Lord. These, the, the church here was walking in the fear of the Lord. And, and what, what looks like fear of the Lord more than putting on your calendar every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, I'm going to somebody's house and I'm opening up the sacred scriptures and I'm putting my life under its authority. That looks like fear of the Lord. That looks like you're, you're fearing the Lord. The alternative would be to just dismiss it. The alternative would be to just... Just let it come in one ear and out the other. The alternative would be to sit in here and to, to consider it, but then don't do anything with it. They were walking in the fear of the Lord. And then I love this, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If anybody, if anybody preaches you a gospel that says, if you turn to Christ and if you trust in Christ and if you follow Christ, then life is going to be just smooth sailing, that's a lie. That's not the gospel. Oftentimes, and we see this in the early Christians' lives, following Jesus actually caused life to be more difficult. Like following Jesus actually welcomed difficulty into your life. And so if anybody's saying, hey, hey, life just gets really, really great when you follow Jesus, it does, but not because your circumstances just get really, really great. In other words, the church was walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. To be a Christian is to suffer. Thanks be to God that we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. If you're oldish, like me, or like you, <laughs> then you've seen what's happened over the last 50 years in our country. In the, in the last 50 years in our country, the culture that we live in has gone from being positive to Christianity to being neutral to Christianity, to being hostile toward Christianity. 45, 50 years ago, to be a member of a church, to be um, a Christian in public about your faith, it was encouraged in the culture. It was, known as a, it was known as a good, wonderful thing in the culture. It, in, indeed, like if you, if you weren't a part of a church, it was kind of like, why aren't you a part of a church? In our culture, 50 years ago, that was the, that was the case. And things have changed, and slowly it, it, it happened that 
the culture's position toward Christianity became neutral. You see this in the public school environments. And now we live in a day where the culture that we live in is hostile toward Christianity. In, in other words, I, in every pastor that I talk to, they don't think that it's, it's going to get better anytime soon. They don't think that there's going to be this massive turn in our culture to where our culture begins to celebrate Christianity the way they did 50 years ago. But what does that mean for us as individual Christians? Well, right now, you might feel like being a part of a community group is a good option. It's a good option. It's something I should consider. It's, it's something that we ought to think about making some space for. But the way our culture is going... To be a real Christian, I think in the coming years, it's, it's, absolutely, it's actually going to be absolutely, critically essential. I, I don't think you're going to be able to flourish and thrive as an individual Christian disconnected from a community group. Why? Because we're not celebrated in our culture as Christians. We're, we're labeled in a way that we've never been labeled, like 50 years ago we weren't labeled before at, at all. If you're, if, you're, if you're a genuine real Christian and you're, and you're public about your faith, um, you're, you're going you're to receive all kinds of resistance, all kinds of hostility, all kinds of being labeled, losing your jobs, not getting promotions, being alienated by people. That's coming. And a community group is going to be an absolute necessity to maintain your sanity and to maintain your faith. The Bible, this isn't a surprise to the Bible. It's not a surprise at all. Peter, in, in ancient days, said, don't be surprised when fiery trials of all kinds come against you. Peter also goes on to say, we're strangers and we're aliens. In other words, this world is not our home. And, and trying, to get, trying to get comfortable in the world that we live in is like walking on one of those, what do you call it? Somebody help me. Treadmill. Right? You... you you can't get comfortable in this world. And if you are, you've deceived yourself. This world is not our home. There's a city to come, a glorious city, eternal bliss. That is our home. Christ is going to come again, and he's going to take us home. But friends, listen. Community groups feel optional now in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years. If you're going to survive as a Christian in our country, you're going to have to be a part of a group like this. Because everywhere you go, you're going to be hated. Everywhere you go, you're going to be ridiculed. Everywhere you go, people are going to say lies about you. And you're going to have to gather with people and be comforted. Your peace is going to be so challenged on a daily basis, you're going to have to find yourself connected to a group of people. Or you're just going to have to kiss your Christianity goodbye. Because you're not going to be able to make it. Listen, I'm not afraid of that day at all. And neither should you be. Neither should you be. This is our identity. This is what the Bible said to expect. So, <laughs> greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say it would be easy. He just said it will be successful. His church, his mission, nothing's going to stand against it. But the way we engage in it is going to have to be together. Not isolated, not alone, not individualized, together. Church, do you see it and understand it? It's what was going on in the early church, persecution. 
They had to come together, pray together. They met house to house, day by day, they were together. They, like, it wasn't like optional, hey, what are you doing tonight? It was like, I'll see you tonight. Because my life was just threatened today, and I got to be with you. We ready for it? Come on. The light shines the brightest in the darkness, friends. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have nothing to fear. We have all hope in Jesus. But we've got to develop a spiritual grit and a wisdom that leads us to connect with one another in things like community groups. All right, one last phrase in Acts 9.31. I want you to see it with me. So the church throughout all Judea and Samaria and Galilee had peace and it was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Say it with me. It multiplies. All right, that was a little weak. Some of you have different versions of the Bible. Mine says it, it multiplied. I want you to say it with me a little bit this morning, like you're excited about the church multiplying, like as you think back and think, yeah, man, they were trying to kill them, but they couldn't hold them back. The church multiplied, even, even though they were trying to kill them, and that's pretty awesome. I'm going to say it like, I, like I'm excited about it. You ready, church? All right, all right, we're going to do it again. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Say it with me. It multiplied. There you go. I know, I just caught you off guard. You, you felt it round one. You just, I just caught you off guard. In real life, we intend to multiply disciples. So we intend to see more and more and more disciples. Can I just encourage you, church? The past two Thursdays, I've had the privilege of sharing the gospel with the Clarksville High football team. And two weeks ago, 18 football players indica- indicated they were praying to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's pretty awesome. Come on. This past Thursday, 12 football players indicated that they were praying to receive Christ. It's awesome. Come on. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is. That gospel message of Christ loving us and dying for us and rising from the dead. The gospel is the power of God to all who believe. The power of of God unto salvation for all who believe. And we want to see this multiplication take place in our workplaces, and in our neighborhoods, and in our schools, and because the Lord is ready to save everyone who turns to him. And he's ready to begin a real relationship with Him, with them, and he's ready to grow them and build them up. The Lord is ready. The Lord is ready to do that in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, all surrounding us. So we intend in real life to multiply disciples. Here's a picture of the JV game. We beat Springfield 14 to 13 that day. God's doing a great work. Would you continue to pray that we'll be able to connect these new believers uh, to a church? I had one texting me last night. He said, I, I, I want to be baptized. I'm out of town tomorrow, but next week I want to be baptized. One of the players that indicated he prayed to receive Christ. We intend to multiply disciples. We also intend to multiply churches. Our goal at Real Life is not to build the biggest building we can to get as many people in the room as possible to hear me preach. No, we want to spread the good news. We want to spread it everywhere. Uh, So just a couple of weeks ago, we launched Real Life Fort Campbell. Here's a picture of them on launch Sunday. They had 132 people. So awesome. One of our community groups here at Real Life, led by Pastor Eric Malloy, went over across town and launched uh, Real Life Fort Campbell. So we intend to continue to plant more churches in Montgomery County and in the surrounding regions. But we don't intend to just multiply disciples and just multiply churches. We intend to multiply community groups. We intend to multiply 
community groups. Uh, last week, we had like 300 people sign up for community groups. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. You can sign up right now. On your phone, you can sign up. But what, we, have a, we have a goal. We have a goal for every group with 12 or more people to multiply by January 2024. Every group that has 12 or more people to multiply by January 2024. Groups will start meeting next week. And our goal is that if your group grows to 12 or more this fall, that it, that it prepares to multiply in January. Why? Let me just give you seven quick reasons of why we want to multiply new groups. New groups increase participation. What do I mean? Well, if a group has 20 people in it, it's grown to 20, and because everybody loves everybody so much, found my people, so strangers have become friends, and friends have become family, and this is our family, don't try to tear us apart, and there's 20 of us packed in a home. Participation is going to be limited. Because you're going to ask one discussion question from the sermon, and you're going to go around, and it's going to take a long time for 20 people to weigh in. But when you multiply and that group becomes 10 people, more people around are going to be able to engage in participation, and that's what we want, is increased participation in the group. New groups raise accountability. When, you're, when your group blooms to 20 people, you can fight against it all you want, but in the human psyche, when a group gets to to 20 people, it's easier to miss the group. It's, e it's easier to lay off that night because, well, they don't need me. It's already too crowded in that living room anyways. You know, like I'm actually being a blessing to everybody missing, you know. It's just too crowded in there, right? Like, you know, the, the accountability lowers the, the larger the group is because it's easier to miss without people feeling it. But when your group is eight and you miss, you know everybody in the group's going to feel it. They're going to feel it. And so, and so multiplying groups raise accountability. New groups facilitate deeper discussion. So again, you're going around a group of 20, and every, you get through one question, but you don't get to go deep in that question. You don't get to explore things that people are bringing up because the group is so large. But when we multiply groups, it allows the discussion to deepen. New groups ensure quality care. Listen, we ask all of our community group facilitators to care for the people in their group to actively care for them, to know what's going on in their life, to be praying for them, to be checking in with them, to be like under-shepherds in the church to care for those people. And can I just tell you, we really want to ask them to care for 12, not 22. It's difficult to care for 22 people. It's a lot easier to care for 12. We want to be able to say with confidence from the stage over and over again that if you join a community group, you're going to be known well and cared for well. But if the group grows to 20 and doesn't multiply, it's going to be difficult to care for the people in that group. Do you see it? Do you see it? So then we're just giving lip service to joining a group and being cared for. It's kind of a roll of the dice if a group's a 20, right? It's just hard to care for that many people. Life is full and life is busy, and we want to get groups down to about 12. That's why we multiply. So that care, the quality of care is real. New groups activate new leaders. This is one of my favorite things, you guys. I love watching this. This is one of my favorite things as a pastor is people find themselves into real life. They kind of find their comfortable little niche here and they kind of, you know, kind of, they just kind of get comfortable. And then somebody has a conversation with them about hosting a group and then they feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Or somebody has a conversation with them about facilitating a group, and then they, they're like really uncomfortable. It's like, I didn't know, uh, you know, like, no, no, thank you. And then for some reason, they've got the faith to step into hosting a group. 
and God rocks their world in the most wonderful way. I love seeing new leaders activated for ministry. Folks that were just kind of sitting in their own comfortable place being activated for ministry and for leadership. Church, let me just tell you, with what God is entrusting to us, listen, with what God is entrusting to us, we're going to need more and more people that step out in faith that are activated for leadership, hosting or facilitating a community group in the months and years to come. New groups make room for new people. New groups make room for new people. So week one, 300 people sign up. Half the groups are already full. Right now, half the groups are full. So another couple of weeks, if all the groups get full, where are the new people going to go? Where are the folks that come to real life in October? Where are the folks that come to real life in November? Where, what, what groups are they going to plug into if all the groups are full? Do you see it? So, so multiplying new groups makes more room for new people. And we say it here all the time, every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday. It's true today. I've already met people today, their first Sunday here at real life. And lastly, new groups draw, peop, draw, uh, draw people, draw in new people. Matt's going to come and help us respond, but I, I, don't, I don't want you to miss this last point here. New groups draw in new people. It, it's not just that they make room for new people, but they actually, they actually draw them in. What do I, what do I mean by that? If, you, if you've ever visited a new church, it can be a terrifying experience. Visiting a new church can be a terrifying experience. But because when you come into a place that's somewhat established, and, and you go to the website and you see all these groups, here's what goes through your mind. Okay, how long has this group been meeting? Okay, how well do these people know each other? Okay, how long have they been friends? Okay, how hard is it going to be for me to break into that circle of friends? That's real. That's real. And, and, and it happens sometimes here as people come and, and it's like they see all these groups that are already existing and they just kind of stay back because it's hard to break into a new group of, like we celebrate, right? Strangers become friends and friends become family. It's hard to break into a group that feels like family because they have a history. They've been praying for each other. They've been meeting. They've been laughing together. They've been eating together and it's hard to break into that. So new groups, listen, new groups draw new people in. If we're, if we're multiplying new groups all the time, you may say, Pastor, like how soon is too soon to multiply? Yesterday. That's how soon. Like yesterday. It's, not, it's never too soon to multiply. Listen, when you read through the book of Acts, you see that the church was an unstoppable movement and the engine was the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we believe God wants to do here. That The Holy Spirit wants to be the engine. And we're not facilitating this and we're not controlling this and we don't even have the illusion that we can manage this. We're just opening the door and saying, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Raise up leaders. Multiply groups. Multiply disciples. Multiply churches. Mm. The church is a movement. It always has been. It always has been. And around the globe today, around the globe today, the church in North America is asleep. And the church in other parts of the world is on fire. And it's, it's sad as you think about North America. 
but I'm seeing God do something special here. I'm seeing people awakened, stepping out in faith. (laughs) And it's just a massive privilege to see what God's doing here. So church, thank you for opening your heart. Thank you for stepping into the river of the current of what, of what God's doing here. Um, so we keep it real, right? And multiplying groups costs us something, doesn't it? Because when groups are healthy, you get close, and then to multiply, tears abound. Tears. I'm, I'm not being dramatic. When groups in real life have multiplied, their last meeting, there were tears. It's like we just live across town, you know, it's like, you know, but there's something special that happens in groups that when they multiply, there's tears, there's a sacrifice. So what motivates us? What do you think motivates us? It's a sacrifice of Jesus, right? Immeasurable good came through his sacrifice. Life, eternal life, church came through his sacrifice. Before he went to the cross, he gathered his disciples around and he gave them this image. As he broke the bread, he said, this is my body. As often as you take it, do it in remembrance of me. And he gave them the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of, of me. And so as we stand in this moment, church, and as we think about all that God is entrusting to us, and as we think about this this desire to multiply. It's important that we acknowledge it it requires sacrifice and our motivation in the sacrifice is his sacrifice. Why are we willing to do it? It's because he was willing to do it, to bring life to you and me. Um, So we're gonna come to the Lord's table this morning. I wanna wanna invite those that are serving to go ahead and make your way uh, to the Lord's table. And this morning, we're gonna remember his grace. We're gonna remember his love. We're gonna remember his sacrifice. The Bible says, greater love has no man than this, and that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus looks at us, and he considers us friends. If you're a Christian, this meal is for you to remember the sacrifice that sealed your salvation. If you're not yet a Christian, you're at the right place. And this meal is for you to just remain seated and consider the invitation of God's grace. He invites you to receive his grace. So if you're not yet a Christian, Would you just stay seated and consider this invitation to receive the gift of God's grace? But all those that are followers of Christ, it's your time to come. Let's pray and we'll come and remember. Father, we pray in Jesus' name and by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for your great love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, help us to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come. There's tables in the back. Tables in the front, you come as you're ready.